thanks for joining us on our C3 Edinburgh podcast. We really hope this message inspires and encourages you in your life with Jesus. To find out more about our welcoming and vibrant church community, please check us out online at www.c3edinburgh.com or find us on Instagram or Facebook. Keep in touch and be part of the story. Now enough from me, you've come to hear the podcast and be blessed. I want you to imagine Paul this morning. In the Bible, Paul. The guy from Acts and he did a whole bunch of stuff. But but keep Paul in mind this morning. Um, If you've read the Bible a few times or maybe you're aware, I mean, Paul Paul is one of the most incredible uh, people Perhaps we'll meet uh, in heaven that when that he's incredible. He he penned it was his pen that penned a majority of the New Testament at the end of the day. He was he was prolific in in his achievements. He was prolific in his um, his journeys, his missionary trips, his church planting. His he, he was incredible. But before all of the, the the Paul, he was he was he was a guy called Saul. He had a name change in in the Bible, and um and he went from a place where he was he was. Um, very anti-Christians, very anti-Jesus. He was going around looking to arrest and execute, and 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 um, and then he had a moment with God. You'll read it about in um, Acts nine. You'll read all about it. Um, um, where, or actually, before Acts nine, he he has this moment with Jesus, and he's walking along the road, the road to Damascus, and all of a sudden he sees a bright light, and 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 he gets blinded, and he 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 has this incredible moment, and it changes his life. He goes from um, he goes from one direction to another direction, one paradigm to another paradigm. And we read this, and it's amazing. But between the lines and around there, something interesting happens, and that's what I want to think about today. Here's what happens, is he very quickly goes from um, king, not really, but like, you know, uh, captain of the Pharisees to uh, the very people who were championing him, wanting to kill him. It happens like, like this. You can read about it in Acts 9. He goes from everyone saying, go put Saul, go Saul, to everyone saying, kill Saul, kill Saul. He has to get out and leave Damascus by a basket because there are assassins, literally like Game of Thrones-esque assassins after him. Um, and then he goes to Jerusalem eventually. He goes to Jerusalem. He's now following Jesus. He goes to Jerusalem and he's trying to make friends with the church because they're his people, but no one will have anything to do with him because he's the guy who was arresting people. And who knows what clever tricks you play. Now we're thinking House of Cards, if you've watched House of Cards. So, so it's, all, it's all over the place. And I just want to take a snapshot of that very moment where he's got his old friends and now his enemies. And they, they're breathing threats of death towards him. But he has no new friends. They're all scared of him. How isolating would that be? I mean, a bunch of us have moved to a new city or a new season in our life. A bunch of us feel isolated at times of our life. And we get all this picture of how great Paul's story was to be, but he didn't know that at the time. So all he has is, great, I've now made a whole bunch of enemies and I have no friends. He was isolated. Stuck between what he'd left behind and the new season that he's not able to break into. I go to, 
I drop the kids off at school sometimes. I pick the kids up at school sometimes. But because I do it, pick them up relatively infrequently, this is nothing like Paul's story, by the way. I'm not trying to compare myself with this. But, but I'll go to the school, right, and I'll be sitting there waiting for the kids to come out of school. And all these parents who, and carers who come and pick up their kids are all mates and they're all friends and they all chat. And I come in and I don't, I don't have anyone to talk to. And I'm pretty friendly, like I talk to people, but you know, all these cool, I feel like a kid in school again with all these people who have the cool groups. And I'm like, all right. Have you ever experienced something like that when you go into a party, you go into a place and you're, you don't have your people? Maybe not maliciously like Paul, people trying to harm him, but... When was the last time you found yourself in an uncomfortable space? Not only socially, let's leave socially behind. When was the last time you felt in your life, like Paul was in this season, out of season? When was the last time you felt like you were leaving some, some season behind and good, thank goodness I'm leaving that season behind and yet I'm not yet in my next one? So I feel a bit uncomfortable. I feel restless. I feel like I'm not there yet and I'm frustrated. I feel impatient. This is where Paul is, stuck between seasons, stuck in isolation. For me, that season feels like a financial, Lisa and I's financial life shifting after a couple of years of living in the UK and after leaving Australia uh, to a po- po- more positive place and where, where it's incredible. We're seeing, we're seeing those, cre- those old debts getting paid, or, you know, credit card thing. You know, you're getting, we're, we're establishing, we're not going backwards, we're now going forwards. But now we want to go on, you know, do incredible exploits and we've got goals. But now you have to wait for every monthly pay to make the next, you know what I mean? Next pay, I'll pay this off. Next pay, I'll do this off. That takes a long time. Stuck between seasons kind of deal. Or in the life of the church, you wouldn't believe it. We're going to spend our fourth birthday, just a little bit more, and I promise I'll let you go. Um, it's our fourth, fourth birthday soon as a church. In the first week of October, it's our fourth birthday. And I can't believe from the days of being in our flat down in Newington to where we are today, but I tell you, when I close my eyes and I dream of, I know where God is taking this church, sometimes I've got to wait because we're not there yet. How do you get out of a season? How do you, how do you, how, how, how do you get from season to season? What's the best way through? How do you get from isolated to connected in your life? That's what I want to talk about today because I want to look at what, how, how how Paul did it. And I better let you guys sit down for a while. Yeah. I might, if, if, I, if I have good progression, I'll get to have you back up later. But if you keep playing this beautiful music behind me, I'll stay there. Turn with me to Acts chapter 9. I'm going to read a little bit of Acts today. It's going to go all around Acts, so stay around there <clears throat> as we talk about. And by the way, let me contextualize all that we're talking about. We're still in summer vibe. We're still in our relaxed holidays feels. Um, 
in the next few weeks, um, a lot of our young adult and student community and families, they'll start coming back from holidays. Um, we'll put the regular chairs back out. And then, and then new people are coming to town this time of year and new students. And so it's going to get, we're about to get really busy and really full really quickly. But over the summer break, we've been speaking about, in little vignettes almost, some leadership moments, really. We've been speaking about, uh, we've been calling it locker room I'll get to this, I promise. Locker room, um, locker room coaching. Lisa asked me to preach. She said, preach, but preach as if to leaders. Preach through the gaps and into some harder spaces. So we've been doing that. And we're going to continue that, except that today, instead of a little 15-minute one, I've been let off the leash to preach my full 30 minutes. So, ha. So it's all going to be about um, a little bit leadershipy, a little bit uh, less, a little bit raw. And it's going to be about getting out for what to do in the middle of a season, like I said, and it's going to be a little bit about um, <clears throat> where we're going as a church in that context. So in Acts 9, 15 to 16, it says this, the Lord said, go, for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings, as well as to the people of Israel, and I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. A little bit of background just to help you with that is that this is after Saul seen this big bright light and he's met Jesus. Jesus said, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Uh, he has this moment with Jesus. He's now in Damascus. He's completely blind. He is freaking out. He's just met the resurrected Christ, the one who was trying to kill off all his people. And so he's freaking out. And now he's saying, this is Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, saying to someone in that town who's a Christian, he's saying, go to that guy Saul's house, pray for him. And uh, the guy's saying, I don't want to, because if I go there, he's the one arresting everybody and I'll be next. He says, no, trust me, because Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings. And I'm going to show him, by the way, how much he'll suffer for my namesake. So that's interesting, because right at the beginning of his life following Jesus, Jesus tells him, you're going to suffer as you do it. Isn't that funny that the Lord sometimes sees hard times differently to the way you and I see our hard times? Jesus saw something in Saul. He chose him. Even before Saul chose Jesus, Jesus chose him and intervened. I wonder who was praying for Saul at that time. I guarantee you someone was. Jesus saw something, the Lord saw something in Paul, in Saul, as he sees in you and I, as he sees in the people who aren't even in church yet, your friends and your family who aren't following Jesus, and you're thinking they're too far away, Jesus sees something in them that you don't see. But I reckon there was somebody else who saw something in Paul. I know that there was because of Scripture. Because later on, in this middle of this awkwardness that I've just described, in the middle of this uh, moment where, um, um, in the middle of this moment where he's now being death threats breathed against him from his old friends, and he's now in Jerusalem with nobody, nobody's talking to him, somebody else saw something in him. And that somebody was um, Joseph. Have you heard of Joseph in the New Testament? Joseph in the book of Acts? It's a cheeky question because you probably haven't because he doesn't go by that name. 
His name's Joseph, right? And you've heard of him. You've, you've read about him if you've read Acts. You've just never heard him use the name Joseph before because actually everybody called him Barnabas. Everybody. Nobody called him Joseph. Everybody called him Barnabas. What a weird name. What a weird thing. Barney. His real name was Joseph, but everybody from the time we always read about him, it's always Barnabas. Long before Paul, long before Saul, long before this story, everyone still called him Barnabas. And here's the thing. I'm going to call him Joseph for a while, and then I'll call him Barnabas later, okay? So here's the thing with Joseph. He wasn't one of the apostles. You know, 12 apostles, and then there was 11 apostles for Acts, and then they rolled a dice and got a, another 12. And they did all this stuff. They had, the apostles started building the church. Joseph wasn't one of them. He wasn't there with Jesus, as far as we know. He, he, he came from Cyprus, I believe. So he, so, so he wasn't a part of Jesus' circle. He wasn't around there, uh, and, and as far as we know. He wasn't one of the stars in Jesus' time. He wasn't on the, one of the seven people who, um, who the apostles said, we need some deacons, we need some people to help us with this. Let's get some incredible heroes to come and help us build the church. He wasn't mentioned there either. So I don't know where Joseph comes from. I don't know where he comes out of. And yet he emerged out of something to become one of the most significant people in the New Testament. And I look and I read about it. You don't read him being the incredible preacher you don't read about him being the incredible leader. You don't read about him being the incredible uh, um, financier. You don't read about anything. There's only one thing that you pick up that he exemplifies, the encourager. And that's what Barnabas means. It means son of encouragement. And I want to propose to you this morning that apart from any of the other gifts, because later he's full of the, filled with the Holy Spirit, he's doing incredible things, but beyond anything else, the strength of him is his power to see something in other people and encourage them in it. As he, like, let me, let me, here's how we first hear about him. Turn with me really quick. I want to show you Acts 4, 36 and 37. This is the first time we hear about him. It takes all the way to Acts 4, not Acts 1, not Acts 2, not Acts 3. But in Acts 4, the church gets started. It's starting to boil over. Momentum is starting to stir. It's growing. People are getting saved. People are sharing everything. People are loving one another. And, but the writer thinks to only mention this one name for, as a for example. And it goes like this. He says, for instance, there was Joseph. And he was the one the apostles nicknamed Barnabas long before Saul which means son of encouragement. And he was from the tribe of Levi, and he came from the island of Cyprus. He sold a field he owned and brought the money to the apostles. He wanted to build the church. So he said, I see something in this place. I see something. No one else might see it yet, but I see something. I've got some fields. I'm going to sell one. You should use this to build the church. Let me tell you something. You don't get the name son of encouragement if you're not encouraging. And I believe that the apostles would have been so encouraged by that. Sometimes you encourage with your words, but sometimes you encourage with your actions. And he encouraged with his finances. He said, I believe in this. I see it. Even before anyone else sees it, I see it. No agenda, no fanfare, just a guy with a smile and a warm heart saying, I believe God is in this place. And so I'm putting my money where my mouth is to help you make this and take this to the next level. I'm not laboring on giving today. I've got a lot more to cover with this. But isn't it interesting that the son of encouragement is the first, uh, the first one we hear of by name giving financially to build the church in that way in the New Testament? 
the son of encouragement. Encouragement is doing that. Sometimes giving speaks louder than words. Words are nice. Smiles are nice. Warm words are nice, but putting your money where your mouth is says, I believe in this. I'm a part of this. How encouraging is this? That's the first time we hear about Barnabas. The second time is a little bit later. And that's when I'm, we're coming to in this story where Saul now is in Jerusalem. He's got people chasing him to kill him. He's coming into a big city of, of, where, where Christianity exploded first and no one will talk to him there. So now he's isolated and now he's in between seasons as we've already established. The person who helped him through that was this guy called Barnabas. When nobody else would talk to him, let's, let's uh, pick it up here. And I'm taking you again to Acts 9, 26 and 27. He says, when Saul arrived in Jerusalem, he tried to meet with the believers but they were all afraid of him. They did not believe he had truly become a believer. But then Barnabas came to him, brought him to the apostles. He grabbed him and said, look, I believe in you. I see something in you. And he brought them to the apostles and he told how Saul had seen the Lord on the way to Damascus and how the Lord had spoken to Saul. And then he told him that Saul had preached boldly in the name of Jesus in Damascus. I love it that Barnabas steps in. Now, I reckon Paul would have been so encouraged. I'm, I'm bouncing between Barnabas and Joseph now, I get it. I'm bouncing between Saul and Paul, but you're with me. Saul would have been, Paul would have been so encouraged because here's this man with no agenda, no fanfare, just a guy with a smile and a warm heart saying, I believe in you. I see something in you. I believe in you. There's something on you, and I'm going to help bring it out of you. I'm going to put my money, my heart, my reputation, where my, where my mouth, I'm going to help him get to where he needs to get to. Listen, Paul's cure to his isolation and his, his, his catalyst to making it through his next season into his next was found through the actions of an encourager. When we talk about Barnabas and the influence and the impact, it wasn't from his preaching, it wasn't from any other thing that I can see but a man who saw things in other people and other things and encouraged them. So strong with his focus on encouraging, on celebrating others, they gave him that name. Some people would say encouragement's one of these airy-fairy, weaker gifts, but I'm here to tell you that actually I think it's the gift that takes people into a new season. It's the gift that takes people into new levels of momentum, and that's the kind of things that we need to be known for. Let me bring this to us this morning. I want to be Barnabas. I want to be Barnabas. I want to be Barnabas to you. I want to be a type of encourager to you. I, I think, I'm, I mean, I've, I've, we've already done this in ministry time, I guess. We've already done this as we've been praying this morning. But Lisa and I, I know that you guys pray, and I pray, and you know that I pray. I want to tell you, I, Lisa and I pray for you and the people in our church regularly. We pray and we see things, we see the most incredible things for your future. We absolutely do. This sounds weird because I'm saying it from a microphone to a bunch of you, but I could promise you that I could sit with each of you and tell you, man, God's going to do something incredible in your life. He's already doing it. Just, you stay strong, you stay firm, put one foot in front of the other. God's going to meet you where you need. He's going to see you through. There's something bigger on the inside of you than you see for yourself. 
I'm convinced that as you find yourself in, in church, as you find yourself uh, in, in where God has for you and in, in the season that you're in, you'll find yourself increasing. You'll find yourself going forward. As you, as you get amongst the people of God, you'll find courage increasing on the inside of you in your challenges, in your isolated moments, in that season where you're between seasons. You'll find yourself in... So that's encouragement, isn't it? Encourage, to put courage in, to, to put courage in you. You'll find yourself um, uh, encouraged in the life of church. All things will work out for good for you. I want to tell you this, that your toughest opponent, my friend, your toughest opponent won't take you down the way sometimes in the middle of the night you think he will. The debt won't take you out. The habit won't take you out. Your fear won't take, your anxiety won't take you out. Your darkest days, depression won't take you out, my friend. God is bigger. He's stronger. He's with you. He's for you. He says he's never put you through something that he doesn't have, he can't empower you to get through. And he's actually going to turn all the weapons against you. Uh, he's going to blunt them and actually cause you to prosper. I've shared a couple of times about um, this intense season of workplace bullying that I encountered. I wasn't the bully. I was the bullied. Um, I don't know what happened. I was doing well in my job. And, um, and then this new manager came in. And I'm, 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 I'm annoying sometimes to people, I guess, and whatever. But uh, I'm generally relatively likable. I'm a nice f f guy. But, um, <laughs> but I don't know. We didn't click. And it, it got pathological. She was, um, my workmates were one, didn't know. Like in hindsight, after meeting with them years after, they're like, I don't know what you did, but man, she didn't like you. And everything that I did, she turned into something that I did wrong. And, 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 I, and I actually tried. I sat down several times. I went, I have the Lord on the inside of me. I'm strong. I can do this. So I meet with her and I shouldn't be the boss, but I'm, I'm the mature one. And I'm sitting down with her. I'm bringing her, uh, you know, I bring her chocolates and I sat down and I said, look, I just want to have a meeting with you. Thank you for meeting with me. Uh, I just feel like we must have got off on the wrong foot and I want to let you know that I'm committed to the role, I'm committed to the job and you lead, I follow, like, let's do that. Uh, it didn't work. She threw the chocolates in the bin in front of me and stripped, tore shreds off me saying, you're, 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 you're paid too much. You should be demoted. And I'm like, well, I don't understand. I tried several times. Man, the union got involved in the end. It got pretty hectic for a season. That's when weapon forms against you tries to prosper. That's when you're between seasons. That's when you don't know where God is in that. Eventually, uh, while this was all happening, I got headhunted by an educational place who, who, who said, hey, look, come and work for us, would you? And I went, actually, usually I'm a, I'm a dog with a bone and I will not leave until that thing's sorted. But... I don't know what else to do. Yes. And I moved over to this place. Within 12 months, uh, it, we had our plane tickets to Edinburgh. And as I landed in Edinburgh, I had a job interview that required me to have an experience doing education in a tertiary facility, of which I work in now. Why am I saying this? I'm saying the enemy won't take you down the way you think he will. In fact, he's going to turn everything around for your good if you'll just stick with him.
if you'll just get your courage from someplace. I kept my courage. I kept turning up. I kept coming to church. I didn't keep it a secret. I told my, my people who I was walking with, my connect group, I've gone through this thing. I don't know what I'm doing. But they encouraged me. They gave me courage to see it through. You're going to make it through, my friend. You're going to make it through. But I, 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 want to, I, I have so much to preach, and I have so little time to preach it. I don't want us to stay. This message isn't about just you being encouraged in what you need to do. But it is that. But it's bigger than that too. I need to preach this morning to leaders, to our fellow church builders here, amongst here, that I see you. I want to commission you not to just receive from Barnabas, Barnabas is all around you, but to tell you, to commission you and tell you that you need to be a Barnabas as well. You need to, you, you don't know it, but you have people around you today who are desperate for some courage, and the Lord has put you there to be that courage for them, because that's how church works. So I'm scared sometimes about preaching too much about what's in it for you because actually church is equally or sometimes even more, what do you have for others? So I'm commissioning everybody here this year to be the Barnabas, the son or daughter of encouragement. People need you to be a Barnabas in their life. Believe me, I'm telling you and you'll know it, there's far too much apathy all around us. They don't need any more apathy. There's enough cynicism around for everybody. We don't need any more cynicism. They have enough reasons to give up. They don't need anyone else to tell them why. They, they have enough reasons to accept second best and not wait on what God has at the other side. They, they have enough reasons to forget about it. They have reasons to accept the status quo. They have enough reasons to let the fire go out. What they need is a reason to keep going. What they need is a reason to stay firm. What they need is someone to give courage back to them, to fan into flame encouragement on the inside of them. And that's where you come in. You know what they could really do with? They could really do with someone like you seeing something in them and then actually letting them know. Because sometimes I know what you do. You think nice things about people. You think powerful things about people. But you don't tell them because that's weird. We have a world of people who don't say things because it's weird. They need someone like Barnabas with a smile and a warm heart to open their mouth and tell them, you know what, in that area, you're amazing, and I think you're going to smash it. We need a church full of Barnab Barnabai. That's the kind of church I want to belong to anyway. What kind of church do you want to belong to? I want your friends, I want your family, I want them coming into this house, coming into this church, and then returning, and then keeping returning for a myriad of reasons, most of which they've just met Jesus. But if no other reason, then they're ample. Every time they come to this place, they leave with more courage. They've been encouraged. And the encouragement doesn't come from the preacher as much as, as, much as the all of us. Okay. I'm running out of time, but I still have to preach. I've got more. I want you to be encouraged in your life. More than that, equal to that, you need to be commissioned to encourage others all over your life. But more than that even, there's something that happens in a corporate atmosphere of encouragement that you can't replicate. And I, and I want to talk spiritual, I want to talk about church, but can I just show you an example outside of church? When I go 
to Murrayfield to see Australia versus Scotland in the rugby. I'm this guy wearing a yellow kind of jersey. Australia. But that, that stadium is packed with blue. Scotland, Scotland, Scotland. And I'm like, you've got to get, that's very, you know, doer. But, but man, there's something in the vibe and, the, and people are cheering for the guys on the field and the home game advantage is real. You have the support of people. There's a corporate encouragement. There's a corporate roar. I'm watching the Ashes at the moment. Anyone see that last game with, I keep doing sports references and people go, no. So fine, I'll stick with rugby. And, and the roar, incredible. It's not dissimilar in the life of church. I think there's something about the next season of this church where we build with fire, we build with one another as we, as we, as we build into fire, fan into flame, a spirit of encouragement in this place like that. And I want to be open with you. It's, it's, this is going to be a weird one for me to preach because I would never, I'm a preacher. I will preach no matter what. I'll preach to one person. I'll preach to a million people. I'll preach when uh, people are looking at me stone-faced and cross-armed. I'll preach when people are enthusiastic about it. But can I tell you, people who encourage as I preach get more out of me. It's true. It's true. I'll, I'll preach better when you encourage me to preach. I'm, it's just a thing. I'm humbled to say it, how embarrassing that I would say that, but it's actually also true. There's something about an atmosphere of faith and an atmosphere of expectation and an atmosphere that encourages, that draws more out. Not just performance, not performance-wise, but, but almost anointing. Like, it's almost like I've gone to, I go to, when I preach at other churches and they don't know who I am, I go to churches and they just assume that I'm an international preacher or something. And, and, and um, man, people like the response of the... Miles is laughing, he's like, you? But people are... That's not what I'm preaching about today. But people like, you know, the, it can be an incredible experience. Why? Not because I'm preaching. I preach the same message, actually. I've done a cheeky thing where I've preached here, and it was a powerful message for us. So I went to Australia and preached it a couple of times there, and it was equally powerful. But, mate, what am I trying to say? I'm trying to say that there's something that gets drawn out of a minister, of someone, of anybody, with, when, when they're encouraged. I'm, t- I'm talking about the band. Like, when these guys play, we can help them. We can get more out of them. We can, get, we can get more out of them for us and for everybody around. When we go, uh, when they say, let's raise our hands, and, you, and, and we go, British. <laughs> I'm sorry, but I'm British now. I've been here for five years. Like, you know, um, or raise your hands, maybe. Like, you, wow me. Wow me, and then I will. God, you wow me, and then... It doesn't work like that. The kingdom of God doesn't work like that. But we can encourage the band when, 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 when we choose to go with them. When we, you know what I've been looking for? Can I be really honest? I'm trying it, man. But I'm bad at it and I need your help. The clap. I'm trying to get a clap happening at church. But I don't have very good rhythm. 
And I've got this fear in my bones. I want to confess it to you. I'm running out of time. Struan once said something to me, and he didn't mean to put an arrow in my heart, but he did. He said, there's nothing more annoying than someone who claps two and four? One and three. I don't even know what that means, but it gets in my head. So I'm all like, I'm clapping, but I don't know whether it's the one, I don't know what I'm doing. I want to put it to you this year that there's something that we do to build the atmosphere of, atmos- uh, atmosphere of courage, the atmosphere of, of faith, the atmosphere of expectation, even in our worship. And it's spiritual, but it's, it's also psychological. It's also community when we encourage the band. So next week, would you help me? Let's get a clap thing happening. And then as people come in, they'll somehow, and anybody who knows one and three, you lead it. Is it one and three? Two and four. Everyone who goes two and four. We'll do it. Um, Struan would do it, except he has the guitar thing. You, otherwise. But, and, and, let's, and let's, let's be expressive. Can I, because I've always been really sensitive about this. Because uh, I'm aware that we all come from different cultures. We're a very multicultural place. And, and, and for some people, you're, the culture that we've grown up in is a little bit more reserved, and that is totally fine. And, and for some people, uh, the culture is very uh, exuberant and expressive, like, um, you know, not picking on Katie, but f- from the States, people can get really expressive. Oh, there's, and sometimes that could get overbearing. But, but, but I don't want to tippy-toe around culture because there's a bigger culture that we need to speak to, and that's kingdom culture. And kingdom culture encourages. Kingdom culture stirs up faith environments. So I want to respect all of our cultures, but I also want to say let's prioritize a kingdom culture where we celebrate whoever it is. In all ways, at all times, because we have a choice to, and we should, because we want to build this place, don't we? We want to be built on the inside of us with courage. We need to build those all around us all week by being Barnabases to others. But let's be a corporate Barnabas. Let's, be, let's, be, let's commit ourselves to help the preacher preach. Let's help the communion um, um, communicator communicate even better. Let's, like, how great was Callum this morning? How good was Callum this morning? It was incredible. He shared straight from his story, straight from his experience, uh, and into uh, how the, what that means for true sustenance, and how that true sustenance links into what we do as we gather for communion. We remember the bread that was broken. It's a good word. Let's get behind our people in a brand new way this year. This is my leadership moment to us. This is what I'll be speaking to all of our leaders. Let's be leaders. Let's lead the way. I've run out of time. I might need some band help. We will encourage you. (laughs) It's got to start somewhere. I want you to understand, and I need us to understand, that the gift of encouragement, the Barnabas gift of encouragement will change your world and it will change the world of the people around you. It will, your encouragement will build our church. Your encouragement will bring out the best in everybody around you. Encouragement brings out people's best. 
a collective atmosphere of encouragement. And this is a note-taking note. If you're writing notes and you're, if you're a leader in your heart, then this will help you. And encouragement builds momentum. Encouragement builds momentum. If you want to see momentum in someone's life, commit yourself to encouraging someone. Like not just once, but again and again. If you want to see this church go to the next level and build in momentum, be the encourager. Encourage and encourage. Encourage is like seed. You throw it into the ground and then it sprouts. You throw it into the ground again and it sprouts some more. Be liberal with your encouragement and you'll see a harvest of momentum. Let me finish up with this. I see a church of momentum thriving in atmosphere, thriving in an atmosphere and a culture of encouragement. And there's one more thing that I thought it would be fair to share about a story of Barnabas and his impact. And it's in Acts 11. I don't have time to read it because I'm running out of time, but uh, I want to set it to you as, as a homework. If you're interested in Barnabas, what we've gone through is the first time we hear about him and then his intervention into the ministry of Saul slash Paul, who goes on to change the world. But then he also does this amazing thing when he brings Paul back. What he does is he hears about this church that's growing, this church that something's happening in um, Antioch. And so Antioch starts to grow, but the apostles aren't a part of it. It's just some believers who, like us, who got scattered because of some persecution stuff. They had to leave their home. They went to Antioch. They started talking about Jesus, and now a church is starting. And then, and then the apostles say, Barnabas, you're so encouraging. Can you go there and help them? So in his encouragement, he walks into Antioch, and he starts... Um, he sees it and he, and he says, this is amazing. You guys, I see something on you. You guys are incredible. I love what you're doing here in Antioch. Uh, it says here that he was a man uh, full of the Holy Spirit. When he got there, he was filled with joy and he encouraged. He encouraged. It says he encouraged the believers to stay true to the Lord. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and strong in faith. And many were brought to the Lord. Uh, then he goes away and he gets Saul. He finds me and says, mate, you've got to come back to Antioch. Something good's happening here. And this church of Antioch explodes. And here's where I'll finish. What you don't read about in Scripture is in the next few hundred years, there are three massive churches, three culturally significant churches in that area of the world. One's in Rome. We hear a lot about Rome. One's in Alexandria in Egypt. And one is Antioch. And, if you, and this is where we find how Antioch started, through the heart of an encourager. Encouragement brings momentum. Growth, thriving, outrageously generous, the heart of the encourager.